Welcome to the Vigor Life Podcast, a source of inspiration, lessons, stories, skill sets, mindsets, and strategies to invigorate and expand all areas of your life. Let's go. What's going on, Coach Luca? Back with the Vigor Life Podcast. Um, first of all, Gene made this backdrop look pretty amazing. I don't know what's going on here, but uh, it's certainly making me feel a lot uh, like I'm in some type of Japanese garden or something. Uh, but either way, uh, something that I'm really excited to talk to you about today, I'm probably going to veer off a little bit on, on this subject going left and right, but it is on the 10 big ideas on culture. Now, look, culture, it, it, honestly, you know, when I talk, and, and this is going to this is going to touch on because somebody might say, well, this is this a business talk? Well, not really. Like culture matters everywhere. Um, you know, I've been part of, you know, teams ranging from kindergarten to high school to, to college to the pros uh, to working for a lot of people on different teams to running different teams currently um, and still working for for in other situations under people. So once again, like, in, in you know, even when you look at family or groups, or organizations or anything, culture is there what type of culture it is well that depends um you know but one of the things is that like while you know s- successful culture can kind of look like magic the truth is that it's not right because culture is a set of living relationships working towards a shared goal uh it's not something you are it's something you do that's very very important that's almost like a quotation i'm going to dig into my notes a little bit because like i said this subject is um i've studied on it a ton uh finishing off with daniel Coyle's book the uh the culture code and you gotta if you haven't read the talent code by by daniel Coyle, like you got to do that it's both phenomenal books um but it's also something that you know not only uh uh I would say I've been trying to figure out. I think that Vigor Ground, you know, it's going on 11th year, uh, 13th if we count Slovenia, has done some really, really, you know, we've done some really great things building culture. Um, I've, I've personally dropped the ball a lot of times not knowing, you know, not knowing that I dropped the ball. So essentially, you know, we talk about that uh, unconscious incompetence, right? You don't know what you don't know. Uh, and that's kind of the thing. And then also we've done a lot of great things. Uh, and sometimes it's just like, you know, naturally, or, or you should have say you do, you know, you do the right thing. You don't, you don't know why things are working, but you know it. And then you figure it out and it's like, oh man, this is, you know, it was unconscious uh, competence in, in that manner. So what I want to do is, 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 is touch on all these different things um, and actually give action steps, give give the big idea, give some stories uh, that I love. Like I said, I took notes on uh, from 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 the book and relate them to life, to business, to um, to your coaching business specifically. If, like I said, for, I know that a lot of coaches listen to this, but that will help you out. Not just it, like I said, build relationships because a lot of culture, once again, is. It, when there, when a culture is great, there's understanding, there's there's safety, and that's I'm gonna keep coming back to this word. Actually, that's gonna be the the the, the number one big idea is psychological safety here. Um, but it's like when you have those things, things just work. And you know, sometimes if you watch a basketball team and you're like, man, they got chemistry, right? They got uh, it's something like that, right? When things just work. But once again, they're not magic. It's it's not who you are. It's something that you do, and um, and it's stuff that you can work on. Um, but the thing is, why is why is this important? I mean, besides, to me, I'm I'm, you know, I'm a big believer. Once again, that culture crushes strategy. Culture, culture crushes, uh, or should I say, beats? You know, marketing. It beats a lot of the. It definitely beats tactics, right? Um, you'll see you'll see a lot of people struggle like doing the right things. Uh, you know, marketing this, that, and the other. Um, but when in house, you know, inside, foundationally, the culture is not you know not great 
things fall apart or you don't see those results, you don't see those conversions, you don't see the 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 result like you'd like to. And you know, the other thing too, you know, as I as I go through is like I said, these podcasts for me is uh, is also digging into um, you know content and learning and applying. You know what's uh, what I love about the the learning process that I get to apply it every day. You know, with with my, myself, my team. Um, people I coach, uh, you know, organizations that I help and coach and consult, uh, like it's, it's getting applied at this point in time, uh, as I'm learning it. And, you know, I, I get feedback, which allows me to course correct. But the one thing that I certainly won't do is, you know, sit here and like, like I got it all figured out. Like this is, you know, as I go through this, this won't necessarily be like, Hey, I'm doing everything to the T we're doing everything to the T, you know, absolutely not. Like, uh, you know, these were things that pop out and go like, wow, you know what, we got to do more of that. We got to, you know, we got to work on these things. Um, you know, this is what, where we're doing really, really good, but we can still improve on it. Right. It's all, it's always just feedback and you gotta be, you gotta learn to, you know, kind of face the tough stuff, uh, if you ever want to get better and, and going back to this, why is it so important? Well, Problems are unavoidable part of any shared experience, right? So uh, if it's in a, in a team, in a workplace, at, at schools, organizations, um, like I said, home, right? Depending on the severity, they can cause a minor setback, but they can also completely derail a business, an organization. Uh, it, seriously, I mean, I, and like I said, you know, in, in 11 years, 13, once again, 13 if I count Slovenia, but we've had a lot of setbacks, right? We've had a lot of things that have gone wrong. And like I said, with personal, uh, me personally, you know, messing stuff up and the, you know, the culture, a lot of times like made things survive or made things thrive. Uh, or, or like I said, in, in, in scenarios where I've been before, it was also the reason that things fell apart. Yo, so, so the thing is you should know how to anticipate, embrace, and ultimately learn from these inevitable obstacles that are going to happen, right? So some of this stuff that I'm going to talk about are tools for you to be able to deal with this and not, I mean, first of all, better understand it, right? But but then also be able to, to to become aware of it, and then have methods, tools, tactics to apply. And of course, like if you don't take action, nothing matters, right? So, you know, I would say also that that this is all studied stuff, like across the board with tons of different studies. And you know, this is one of the keys that I've learned in the last, I would say, three years, even more so, is like when picking team members on or hiring talent. You know, people still look like it's logical to look at intelligence and credentials and accolades and like, you know, what school they've completed and, and you know, how many things are just written down on the, uh, on, on the, you know, you who, who this is, this guy's a champion type of thing. But, it, you know, major study groups, uh, typical qualifications that are often indicators of success do not directly correlate to group success. And you will talk about that as far as, you know, the, the people that are the smartest or the most intelligent in groups don't necessarily actually don't uh, always have the best results. And, you know, big idea number one is, is going to be the one that kind of explains why that happens and why that's so important for you as well. Uh, if, if, you're, if you're going that route, right, I'm hiring for, t you know, straight up for talent and intelligence. Um, but you may not realize that, but ex everything from the exact choice of words and, and like a, a critique, if you're sitting down with a coach, uh, if you're sitting down with a client, if you're sitting down with a partner or JV, uh, to small actions like a pat, pat on the back, uh, you know, play pivotal roles in success. They do. These are not elusive ideas. They can be taught. They can be learned. Right. And it's like that's the key of dissecting places that have had success and then looking like and seeing, oh, man, this is this is what they do. Right. Are we doing this? Maybe we should start doing this. So let's let's slide down and go into big idea number one. Um, and that is that 
the element that drives basically a big idea number one is create belonging cues, right? Being socially secure, psychological safety. There's a lot of different words for this. But the element that drives group performance and successful cultures apart is not intelligence or resources. It's the tangible sense of safety, right? So, uh, you know, that's, this is something we've been working on for, for the last year dramatically here at Vigor um, and, and continue to work on it and have to work on it. And like I said, it's a process, right? But the certainty that there is room in a group to speak up, ask questions, make mistakes, you know, without risking social repercussions, you know, being persecuted, being judged, being like, you know, pushed out because you brought something to the table that was challenging or difficult. Uh, you know, the feeling that everyone in the group, no matter what their official role is, connected to everyone else and they share all, they all share a common future, right? We'll talk more about this, but so when, when a leader in an organization creates a, like that sense of safety, everyone's uh, amygdalas and think about that, it's a part of the brain that measures safety and security, they relax. And once that happens, the brain can solve other problems beyond the moment to moment survival on a physical level. So think about that, right? Like threat is, is, is we, can, we can look at threat in so many different ways. And I think too many times still to this day, people look at threat as very, you know, physical or uh, very dramatic, right? I'm threatening, you know, your existence or your financial existence or you're going to get fired or whatnot. But the reality is, is that somebody feels threatened and is not secure in a group, right? That makes them fight, flight, or freeze. And most of the time, you know, you get all types of different responses from uh, disconnection to sometimes rebellion, right? Like all these different things. But no matter what, you can't solve problems moment to moment as a group when people are threatened, right? So as a leader, you need to utilize small actions in order to connect intimately with your team members. So subtle gestures like eye contact, pats on the back, high five, like little internal jokes. Like, and the thing is, these things can be like really subtle, but, you know, genuine stuff that exudes warmth, that exudes familiarity, right? So those are little cues that go a long way and cultivate a meaningful connection and create like a protected space for everybody, right? And so number one, like you even have to just have awareness around that. Think about that, right? You know, right now, do you even think about that? Do you, do you even like are in your environment, whether like I said, it's an organization, it's a team, it's a, uh, it's a business, it, are those things that you even have conscious awareness around and start observing, right? And saying, hmm, like, are we doing this? Like what's missing here, right? And the thing is that the, the, these things have to be reinforced consistently. That's another thing. Like what, uh, you know, when, when I coach and consult, um, what, I, what I see a lot of, like, for instance, if, if this awareness gets brought to the business or the team and, you know, within weeks, it's like, man, we're not seeing changes. And I'm like, this is stuff that has to be reinforced constantly, not only to build, but then maintain that sense of, you know, safety in a group. And we're talking about, you know, why not shoot for like, hey, let's change culture in the next year, you know, year and a half versus, you know, in the next 12 week, I want to change culture. Now, that doesn't mean that you won't see changes in that time frame, but certainly, you know, this is not like a short term, like, let me lose 10 pounds in, you know, 30 days type of thing, which, as you know, like, I'm not a big believer of anyway, because it's about behavior change. But it, when it comes to this, it's even more important now. An example, and, and, and this is what I loved. As I, as I read, you know, uh, one of the books, that, and, and like I said, I think this was in the, uh, the, uh, the culture code, and, and it was talking about pop. And you guys know, like Greg Popovich, I, you know, I come from 
uh, the background of basketball. I'm a big basketball fan. You know, it was my life for a long period of time. Uh, but I'm also a big San Antonio, uh, San Antonio Spurs fan. Uh, and that started back when uh, a couple of my, my friends played for them, Bino Udrich and Rasho Nesterovic, uh, who were both NBA players and played for the Spurs. And I got a couple rings with the Spurs. So it's kind of, you know, I, I used to grow up playing with Bino and and uh, was a big fan of Rasho. And, you know, obviously I started, I started being a fan of the Spurs because of that. And then... I started becoming a fan of how they operated, right? Because they play unbelievable, uh, unselfish team basketball. But it goes, but then it goes deeper, you know. Like, uh, you know, what I found out is that, like, actually, that the the the, the Spurs are the most successful um, team sports organization ever, especially in the U.S. Uh, I mean, they're a complete outlier, right? That and the data, some of the data that they put together was that. And I don't know what the formula for this is, but it was basically like, you know, the talent or the amount of money that the players were being paid. Uh, you know, they, they historically have been in the playoffs, gone to the finals, you know, won championships, even though like their rank, because it's like they have a number like to rank this stuff wasn't the best. And why is that? And, you know, and, and a big re- reason for that is is Greg Popovich and the culture. And I would say just the whole Spurs and the culture that created, right? So against all statistical odds, the Spurs rank as the most successful American sports franchise in the past 20 years. Think about that, right? So, uh, you know, Pop makes every effort to know the players personally, to connect with them in a familiar way. He makes wine recommendations, plans team meals, doles out hugs, smiles, has conversations tailored to players' interests, right? He's always thinking about that person and about their desires, their beliefs, their perspectives, right? So these personal relationships are momentous and integral team dynamic, but they're based on seemingly minute signals and interactions, right? So they're little small things, but they're done consistently over time. And there's some, um, here's the thing, right? There's some really, really crazy stories that you want to dig into, but, you know, one of them is that when the Spurs actually lost this very important game and everybody thought that, you know, uh, of course, like everybody was completely shocked and, and down and everything. And, and Greg Popovich still got everybody on the bus, like right off the bat, got him on the bus and shuttled them to the restaurant that he reserved that, you know, that they were going to, they had it booked, you know, to celebrate the win in, in, in the NBA finals. And that didn't happen. And basically, you know, as, uh, as they came in, there was like subtle gestures, like so basically, you know, everybody was kind of down, but he would go around and have a glass of wine and talk to people and, you know, kind of have these like c- intimate conversations, uh, made them feel safe, made them feel comfortable, made them feel like, hey, listen, like, we, you know, we're going to learn from this. We're going to get better and, and we're going to win to a point where, you know, people even started laughing at jokes and it was just a good night. But the thing, you know, it, to think about that, and I've been in a situation, you know, where, where we, uh, we we came, like, we were up by 20 and we lost in the final four. It was de- it was devastating, like devastating. You know, I, to this day, and this is legitimately, uh, yeah, like 20 years ago, um, you know, and and I still, I still remember, remember it now and get an icky feeling about it, you know, and to think, you know, to after that game to still go to dinner and to still create that type of culture is incredible. You know, so think about those things, but, you know, use unique opportunities to connect to the members of your team, of your groups, you know, in an intimate way. So things that like making eye contact, nodding when they're speaking, but not just because that's the thing to do, but because you're engaged and you're listening, right? Uh, you know, physical contact, like a touch on the elbow, a fist bump, you know, a warm handshake, a hug. Like, I'm, you know, I'm such a huge believer. If you come to Vigor Ground, you're like, I will legitimately go around the whole gym. If there's a hundred people, I don't care. Everybody's getting a dap. Everybody's getting a high five, a hug. Like everybody's got their own thing that, you know, that we do. But, you know, 
And some people are huggers, some people aren't, right? And, and that's the thing is like that social and emotional intelligence to be able to be aware of who is what. But those are the little things that matter. And that sometimes people start losing track of because you might start, you know, thinking that you got to put a, a ton more energy into your landing pages, which look, those things matter too, okay? I'm not saying that they don't, but bringing it back like to, you know, the, the perennial uh, seller from Ryan Holiday, the book, who talks about, hey, you know, 80% of, you know, the 80-20 rule in a different way is like, hey, spend 80% of your effort on the product slash the service and only 20 on marketing. And yet while that might shift a little bit, you know, you might go 60-40, you know, some, even sometimes you might go, you know, 50-50, but I, the majority of the time, like put, put a majority of your effort into the service and you know i've i've made mistakes here um in in the past you know in the in the the years like obviously in a decade now plus um you know doing business when i lost track of that and it and it never went in the right direction so that's something to think about right Uh, um and remember some people take a while to warm up others will, will share laughter personal stories like within the first few minutes of meeting like that's because everybody's different and everybody has a different type of wall up right but find be- what behavior feels natural to you and tailor it according to every team's member's preference right so a good leader is a good coach they model the behavior they want to see in their team and they're constantly encouraging every member of the team to do their best whatever that might mean that day and so you know this is this is one of those things when it comes back to virtues and values like you have to live them and you listening to these you know to to previous podcasts I can't like I mean having quotes on a wall or you know a culture book and all this stuff written down and I don't give you know I'll give a shit like how many memes you put out about like you know a certain virtue or a certain story like if you do not live that it is irrelevant you got to live that and uh you know Mark Fisher has a good kind of like he's he's got a good um like literally formula for you know what culture you know culture is and it's mission plus values plus people equal culture. And I love that, right? Um, the, the key though here is, it's not what's written, it's what's done. It's what's acted, it's what's done consistently, right? That's what's going to show. So if you're like, hey, you know, we're, you know, we're, we're philanthropists, we're go-givers, we're this, that, and the other, and I, you know, and I look at the last two, you know, two years of your business and, and you haven't done any charity events or you're not going out doing Habitat for Humanity or doing, I don't, I, I'm just giving examples, but the, the point of it is you can't really say that unless you got to be living it. You got to be breathing it. You got to be doing it. Then that's when people say, oh, that's the culture, right? So just, you know, kind of like a tagline here is that these cues add up to a message that can be described with a single phrase, right? You are safe here, right? If you feel that, like that's the number one kind of big idea, like belonging, you know, social belonging that allows everybody to flourish and be themselves and be their best selves, right? So uh, I'm going to give you ask, ask you a couple questions, you know, and this one I probably going to spend a little more time on than the other ones, which I might fly through because once again, like, hey, I could talk about this for for, for hours, um, but I'm going to try to give you guys the most value that I possibly can through all my studies, uh, you know, on this topic. So, uh you know, what small actions do you do you take to connect with others? Like, you know, write that stuff down. Like, be conscious about it. What do you do? You know, because it might it might make you stop and go like, hey, this is actually what I'm doing. I don't ever, I don't really even think about it because I because as I went through this, I started writing it down. I was like, man, there's all these these little things that I do. And also, I noticed like some things that I stopped doing because I got pissed off and I didn't address those things with uh, with certain individuals, either in my personal life or on a team. Right. So it, once again, awareness helps you change. So and an exercise here is something right that, that I want you to do. Once again, if you do one exercise from this and implement it. 
with yourself into your business, it's going to change shit for you, period. If you apply it nonstop though, right? It's got to be consistent. So think of a group setting in which you feel completely safe. So one in which you can speak your mind freely. You're not af- afraid to, to give or receive feedback, a, a place you feel taken care of and appreciated. Now think about the interactions that take place in this setting. Can you list the belonging cues you received that have created this environment? Now this is important because it kind of takes you out. It makes you the observer. Right? You become the observer and you go like, hey, here's the place that I feel safe. What are the things that make me feel safe here? And this is a great drill because, one, it makes you become an observer and, and, and you are able to better observe the environment, one that you're in, you know, one that you're creating. So a couple of tips here, right? Don't have your phone out or visible. Like, look, this might seem like some one-on-one type shit, but look, this is, some, you know... It, once again, like if you're, you know, me and Jay, me and Jay Ferruja, we talk about this all the time. And, you know, I'm a culprit on this sometimes, but I become so much better at it that, you know, uh, if, if, if even if you're at a table, but the, front, the, the presence of a phone can throw people. I mean, you know that they're not fully engaged. Right. Like if you have a client, if you're, you know, and, and you got the phone out and like, look, I get it. Like social media, taking pictures, taking videos. I do it, too. Like and I'm conscious about it. But like being really engaged with someone like, man, shut it down. Like put it put it to the side. You know, once again, put out an environment. That's really important. You know, mimicking people's body language. If they're sitting down, you're standing up. This creates an odd disconnected dynamic. I'm, I really thought about this, right? Um, and, and I used to do this, and I still still kind of like mess up on this, but I, I've become really conscious about, you know, uh, I just got introduced to somebody the other day, and I was sitting down, they were standing up, and I shake their hands, and I was like, shit, you know, and I got up, like dapped them, and like, you know, I was talking to them face to face because, you know, it, if, if you're both sitting down, try to have chairs side by side and angle them dire- not directly across from uh, like not not an interview mode. Right. So think about those little things. But sometimes the person won't even consciously say, hey, this is you know, this isn't cool, but they'll just feel a certain way. So, you know, I always say like in coaching with kids, uh, if I mean, we're talking about like if a kid is short, like I've, I've always went down on my knee, you know, to look them in the eye. Right. Rather than talking down to them. I know little things, but it means a, 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 a lot. Uh, try a walking meeting. Right. So some people think and connect better in motion. This will get the blood moving, activate endorphins. Uh, even if you don't break a sweat, like just going around the block, you know, going walk through the park and talking and allow for physical proximity with tons of intense eye contact. Right. But these are things that you have talked about the light formula before. These are things that will make a big difference. Right. Um, and. Like I said, making eye contact. You know, we did a, a drill. Uh, now it's years ago in Warrior, and uh, you know, I, I think this once again for some people this is uncomfortable. So when I say this, <laughs> I'm not saying like a new person that you meet, you're staring them in the eyes for minutes. But like this, this was a, I just wanted to make a point of like something that we did in Warrior many years ago. Uh, when uh, I think it was Raul, he was telling a story with music in the background, and we had to we had to look another man in the eye for like probably like six or seven minutes. You know, most people have never done that. So you went through this kind of roller coaster of emotions. Like first, you, you know, you're kind of like uh, uncomfortable. So you're laughing and stuff like that, right? Then you get really serious. And then at the end, I was like, we were all getting emotional. But the point of it is that like, you know, connecting like eyes and, and, and paying attention to somebody's eyes, it's, it's engagement, right? Because when you're disconnected and you're looking left and right and all over the place and you can see me and Karen right now, right? Does, if, if I was talking to you and you're doing, you know, this, Right. You're not going to feel like I'm, I'm listening to you and engaged, even if that's just the way that you are. Right. So it's something to work on. So let them know that you're listening. Gentle head nods, confirming words, simple, 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 simple prompts as, you know, what else? How do you feel about that? Hmm, tell me more. Right. Like 
and or or getting like, hey, you know, things like stopping, like, hey, I noticed you said something. Like when you said that, what did you mean about that? Because one, it means you're listening, right? It's active listening. But once again, like you know, not doing that because you know the the points that I'm saying say so. It's because like that's what's gonna make a change. Big idea number two, like I said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go a little bit faster with these because I almost feel like big idea number one is like if you get that down, you'll improve your, your relationships, your environments, uh, your business, your team, your culture. Um, but number two is avoiding status management, right? Uh, like So status management may feel like something you should have left behind in middle school, but it's actually a lifelong reality for everyone you'll meet, right? The little voice with you asking, do I belong here? Where do I fit in? You know, during all group activities, that's your, that's your status, status management speaking up. So these questions are important because they keep you safe and aware of your ever-changing surroundings, right? And so there's this, there's this little drill. And, and, and so uh, this story is so powerful, right? It's called a tallest tower. So uh, a few years ago, designer and engineer Peter Skillman sponsored a competition in which groups were assigned the task of building the tallest tower out of tape, uncooked spaghetti, string, and one marshmallow. I mean, when I read that, I was like, shit. <laughs> like, how the hell are we going to do that, right? But the point, in dozens of trials, kindergartners defeated lawyers, business school students, and CEOs. Pause there for a second. Right, so you're taking all these people that have all this experience in management and leadership and high IQs, and they got crushed. It wasn't even close. They got crushed by kindergartners to to a degree that, uh, if I'm not mistaken, that the average uh, height of the tower was about nine to ten inches. Uh, a group, I think it was the CEO group, got it to fourteen to fifteen inches, but the kindergartners were averaging like twenty-four. I mean, they annihilated that whole group, right? But so why? Because the kindergartners didn't concern themselves with everybody's individual skill or roles, right? They didn't worry about who was in charge, what the rules were, or was it okay to criticize? They focused on managing the challenge rather than managing themselves. So essentially what the, the thing is, is that, you know, as we grow up, uh, you know, we kind of hold on to these, these, the status, you know, like what is our status? What, are, what, are, what is our persona? What do people think about us? So when the managers and, you know, CEOs were, were as they were building this tower, their thought process, you know, was, was uh, okay, well, this person said we should do this, but like, I feel like I'm smarter. So if I do that, do I, do I, do now and I look lesser now, right? So that slowed them down. That created bottlenecks, right? Whereas the kindergartners, they actually talked less. That was another thing that they saw in the studies. They talked a lot less. It was just, they kind of just collaborated. Hey, listen, give me that. Nah, that's not going to work. Okay, just do that. They, they just did stuff. Right, because they focused more on the outcome, like a joint vision, versus, oh, he's the boss, he's not. This is his. This is that. Right? It was more about how do we get this done together and how do we do it well. So that there's a huge lesson there, right? In your own group, make it known that everybody is on a level playing field. That all comments, critiques, and opinions are valued equally. Nobody should be above critical feedback, especially the leader, right? So. The kindergartners succeeded not because they're smarter, because they work together in a smarter way. They're tapping into a simple, powerful method in which group of ordinary people can create performance far beyond the sum of their parts. This is like, you know, the, uh, the, the Philadelphia 76ers with Iverson on it, right? Where it's like, besides Iverson, like, no one was even, I, I don't even think nobody was even a star. Like, McKee or Snow, I mean, they were good, but like, how did they get to the finals? And now I was, man, I, I shed a tear because I was such an Iverson fan that they didn't win. But like, this is part of it, right? Because they were just like, they didn't give a shit. 
right? They were just working together. Nobody's got status. Nobody cares, right? Some, some, some of you might say, AI did, you know, AI crazy, but like, I love that dude. <laughs> but, but, but I hope you see the point here. If everybody's more worried about like the vision and how we can get there and not like having egos, like, you know, instantly, like he told me to do that. He's not going to tell me to do that. And maybe that's just the voice inside of your head, right? That's a bottleneck. You got to change that, right? So question, what are some ways in which you encourage openness and unrestricted feedback from all participants in your team? Um, you know, you can use phrases like open forum, brainstorming session. You know, we had a successful one where we, we kind of said, hey, look, you know, we are, we, are, we are where we are right now. Where do you think, like, what is going to take us to become the greatest, you know, the greatest gym in the world? Uh, and, and we broke it down into, like, different factors. And it was like, you know, facility, as in, like, facility cleanliness, the way it looks, like, what else would we need, and so on and so forth. Uh, coaching, customer service. And, you know, everybody gave their input. And it was, a, it was a lot of great input, you know, I mean, like really, really good stuff. And we made some changes already, uh, a lot of work still to do, but it's, but we're moving in that direction. And when everybody felt safe to just be, say whatever they wanted to say, and it was like, hey, we really do a shitty job with this, you know what I mean? And rather than be like, what do you mean, right? No, it's like, yeah, you know, you're right. Like we got to do something about that with some ideas that you have, right? So I, I think that's important. Make sure that everybody down at interns can report directly to you, like, you know, if, if, if you're the leader uh, with no red tape involved, right? Uh, think about, like, how can you can create more face-to-face -face interactions? And, and once again, like, a, you know, I want to make sure that people know that, like, as they're listening to this, like, this is a learning process for me, right? Um, but I'm very intent with this. I'm very conscious about constantly working on this, right? Uh, so some, some brainstorming, like, look, this is some cool thing from big companies that Google employees are playing street hockey games with founders at Pixar. They have uncensored brain trust meetings to discuss, uh, new projects, you know, at Pixar, I mean, like they crush each other. If you ever watch like basically the, 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 the movies that they've made, right? Like, um, they, like the first rendering of the movie, they destroy it. And it's like nine renderings later, or maybe even more. You know, that's why it takes so much time. But like anybody can speak up and go like, ah, the character role, shit. Like there's no development or oh, what this, this is not funny. Like they crush each other and that's, but there's psychological safety so that when they do that, they know that everybody's working to make the best service, the best product, right? So that's very important. So come up with a few guidelines or activities you can implement that similarly break down hierarchical barriers uh, to get everybody involved in encouraged unfiltered dialogue, right? Very important. So to incorporate brain trust meetings, I start with guide, guidelines. Whoever gives critical feedback describing a problem cannot offer their solution to the problem, right? Number one. Number two, the boss or leader will never run the meeting, will always get critiqued first. So this is also from, if you, if you guys have uh, read Simon Sinek's works, which are great, but the leader eats last. I've talked about this in previous podcasts. Uh, I've, I've made a conscious effort to do that, to not come to you know the table and say like, here, you know, here's what we got to do. Here's what, you know, if, if there's something to solve, I'm not going to give my solution first or give my opinion first. I'm give my critique first because it's going to influence the rest of the team. So doing it last works much better because you get like true and filtered, um, I'd say feedback. The big idea number three is connecting with the future, right? So within your business, there's a plethora. And when I say business, look, it's interchangeable team, community, organization, family, right? There's a plethora of guiding lights to direct people. As a leader, it's your responsibility to provide a team with clear, relatable, actionable outlook of the future you're all working towards. Now, I'm going to bring some of my, my, I would say, coaching consulting experience with, with gym owners here that 
this is something I bring to light, where is like, where are we going? You know, where are we going? And then how do you fit into this picture? Like that's massively important, right? Because if if the, the, the team cannot see how you, how like they fit into the vision, like that's going to be a, a problem. And I see a lot of that where, you know, it's like, oh, I don't know. I don't understand why, you know, people aren't doing this, that, and the other. Uh, and, you know, I always bring that to the forefront. Do they know like what their future is, you know? And, and I would say like, hey, we've had people leave either because the futures didn't end up matching um, or because I didn't, I would say, like tell the future well enough. And that's why I started being clearer and clearer and clearer about, you know, my vision and our vision and like how people fit in and can succeed and achieve their goals. So that's very, very important, right? A, a vision of the weekend or even wonderful retirement isn't enough. It needs to be compelling, clarifying, you know, touchable or, or else uh, they're just doing what it feel. It won't do what they, what it feels matters to them, right? So no matter how big or small the play, each member of your group should be able to see their work will have a big picture, long-term results. If individuals are able to connect the dots between where they are and where they're headed, they will stay motivated, be productive, and feel protected, right? So I'm, I'm going to read this last part again because it's very, very, very important. Like, like, write this out, okay? If individuals are able to connect the dots between where they are and where they're headed, they'll stay motivated, be productive, and feel protected. Now, obviously, sometimes if that's not the case, it means they might not be the right fit, right? So as a leader, you got to be aware of the stories that embody human benefits of the work that you do. Right. It's all it's important. It's like the dangling the carrot is like fucking like old. I mean, it's old school. Right. So take the time to, to, to contemplate the real impact your team work has on the world and unearth real human examples of this impact. Right. So we got to keep bringing back to like what's the impact that we make. And look, if you're in a fitness industry like this is I, I don't see a better industry. But like I said, yes, I'm biased, but I think that we can affect people more than just about any other industry. At the same time, it takes a lot of work and it takes, uh, I would say, uh, you know, to, to be really good at this and it's, and it's a tough industry, right? But it's, that's why it's even more important that like there's great people leaving and I hate to see that because, you know, for, for, many, for many reasons, whether they're not, you know, being able to make a career, make enough money, whatever it may be. Um, and remember like, so like the, the navigation over inspiration, right? And the, so, so there's a, there's a, um, so Adam Grant, who's also a great author, author of, uh, you know, uh, give and take and, and, uh, originals, fantastic books. Right. But it was, uh, he gave an examples and went, you know, to go back to this navigation over inspiration, you know, cause you can like, if, if you're just like inspiring all the time, but people don't know where they're going, it doesn't matter. You're inspiring them to go where, right. Uh, is this, this was for, for, uh, from a, uh, a study at the center, uh, it was a, a call center at the University of Michigan. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm looking through notes. So the volunteers at the uh, phonathon were calling alumni to raise money for scholarship. Scholarship. So the study found that after a simple five-minute presentation, where a recipient of one of the scholarships came in and explained to the volunteers how much the scholarship had impacted his life and how grateful he was for it, that rate of calls made increased 142% and the money raised increased 172%. Think about that because they brought someone in that said, guys, what you are doing here, this is what it did for me. I was able to get a scholarship and like I would have never been able to do that. And this is how it changed my life completely. That made I mean, so think about that where you can give you can give a sales strategy. Right. Well, you know, when somebody says this, do this, when they do that, say this like that had like nowhere near the effect, if any effect compared to navigating them and showing them how it's impacting the lives of, of a certain person, like th who they're doing this for, right? So 
Show your own team the actual paths they can take towards success. Given an impassioned speech about, about the team's ability to win and rise in ranks won't provide the same impact, right? Uh, and, and, and Daniel Cole talks about this, that providing navigation is far more than inspiration, right? So what is one habit that is shared by successful groups? Sneak previewing the future relationships, making small but telling connections between now and the vision of the future. Powerful, powerful. And once again, you know, we're, we're at idea number three. And I always want to at the end kind of like loop it back and say, okay, well, what's some things you can do? What's some questions you can ask yourself? What's the application to life? Well, here's a question. Which of the following do you think is a great way to connect your, uh, I would say your, your members, your, your tribe to the future, right? Watch a video about the business triumphs of Steve Jobs. Host a Q&A session with a senior associate who started out as an intern. Senior associate is such a, it's a no stinks. It's such a, a corporate thing to say, right? But uh, C, start keeping back issues of Success Magazine in the break room. Give everyone a coffee mug with a company logo on it, right? And here's the answer, right? Each of these optionals will likely have a positive impact on your team. But the answer B, host a Q&A session with, the, with a person that started as an intern but is now successful and is impacting lives might have the biggest impact, Right, because it's showing people kind of like the future while well, they started here and like look at where they are now, look at what they're doing, look at where they're heading, right? And like look at what, what did that do for them? How are they impacting? What is their drive and intrinsic motivation here, right? So here's a brainstorming thing, right? Look around uh, the members of your team. Do you know their career paths, right? Have you had, have you ever had a discussion with them about their professional trajectories, where they want to go? Like we do this quite often. I, I have to say this is one of the things I do quite often, right? How can you help your team envision their future? So go five level deeps with it. Go go five levels deep. These are these are five questions right here uh, that you can ask. So what is your job, right? Find out, man. Like I, if you've never asked this question, find out. What does that allow people to do? Why is that important? Why does that matter? Tell me more about that. And you'll notice. I talked about questions about sales and I talked about questions about digging deep with coaching clients. Notice how this is different. So the, the framework behind this is similar, right? So based off of the answer, what is the human story that you can unearth and share with your team to show them the importance of their work? I think this is key, right? This is key. Number four, uh, we're going to start We're gonna start flying a little bit faster here. Man, I, 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 each one of these could legitimately be um, its own kind of the show and podcast. But I wanted to piece them all together. Number four is admitting to weakness. So that's the big idea, admitting to weakness, getting uncomfortable, right? As a leader, it's normal to maintain a sense of composure, strength, and you know, grace under pressure type, uh, I would say, a- attitude, right? But it shows that to create a strong culture, leaders need to express their own vulnerability. Um, it isn't enough to provide a safe space for others to be vulnerable and to make that sense of safety, but it, the, the leader must actively participate, admit their own mistakes and weaknesses, right? So here, here's the thing. I think that we're still kind of bound up in this, um, it, it was time and age where, like I said, the, the ego, right? That like, if, if, if I'm a leader, if I'm a boss, then I can't make a mistake. I have to be the strong one. I mean, this goes to personal life too. And we've talked about this so much more, you know, I mean, I think the old, the, you know, the, the, the term vulnerability, uh, you know, comes up, which might be overused now, but Hey, like, that's real. Like, you know, when you make a mistake, you admit to the mistake. When you fuck up, you fuck up and like you, you come clean. Um, and, and the thing is, is like when that happens, like it shows that you are human. It shows that you're willing to admit to those mistakes. And that, guess what? Like we go back to number one, it un- un- unnerves uh, like that whole safety thing, right? Uh, and so 
you know, there's a ton of different stories that we could talk about, but um, one specific one was a, a flight from uh, that was a plane going to Seahawk City, and uh, the en- not, not only the engines came out, like basically a bunch of the plane uh, essentially shut down. It was like something like that never happened before. And the example of that was that the pilot, the captain, which in that scenario could be, you know, like, I got this, like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell everybody what to do. He was like, guys, help me out here. Like, you know, I don't know, but let's figure this out together. And even somebody came from, uh, you know, from the passenger side that that was um, that was actually trained in flight. And then it was like three or four people ended up navigating this flight uh, and, and landing, crash landing it where 100 people died. But it was, it, you know, it would if they wouldn't have done what they did, there's no way that, you know, 180 people, I think, would have survived. And it was like one of those miraculous flights. But, uh, you know, an example of that was how. If if that person, if that you know the leader, the the hey, I'm the head, I'm, I'm the head honcho and the boss, was was like, no, no, I got this, right? Let me make all the calls. They would all everybody would have died, right? But like basically, you know, going and saying like, hey, look, I, I don't know, I need help, guys, I need help here, and then start shooting. And like basically, what they did, they said that they operated very similarly to the kindergartners in the tower. Uh, in a tower study, right, where nobody would like the egos dropped. It was just like, how do we how do we basically solve this problem? Right. So exchanges and vulnerability, which tend to avoid are the pathway through which trust and co- cooperation is built. And of course, if somebody lets their guard down and says, hey, look, I messed up, like I fucked up here. You know what? It, it builds trust. It goes like, man, this person is is, you know, like, think about it. even even I would say evolutionarily. Right. He's letting his guard down which means he trusts us like he, he's becoming vulnerable. So like we're going to trust them. Right. So application life becoming vulnerable so how confident are you when it comes to displaying your own securities where could you improve i mean for me like i you know going to warrior was like kind of like this catalyst where you know it was like uh, you know i was it was it's tell the truth right tell the truth no matter what and uh you know I, I started speaking about a lot a lot of really challenging things in my life personally professionally um and although it was very difficult and i it, i certainly got judged and persecuted because of it man like it it one, it created a certain sense of power, but also connected me to a lot of people more uh, because they saw that I was human, I was willing to share, and, and people were willing to open up about their tough, uh, the tough things in their life, right? So make it a regular practice to own your mistake, mistakes and ask for feedback on your performance, right? Say, say I don't know when you don't really know. Like, that's one of my, my rules when, when interns come in. I'm like, listen, don't ever, like, if somebody, if you don't know something, don't try to fucking be like, uh, make stuff up and like, blah, blah, you know, just say I don't know. Like, hey, listen, I'm going to ask Luca, let me see if he knows. I'm going to ask, you know, Theo, let me see if he knows. Like, right? We're going to collaborate. You don't just say you know because you're, you're trying to protect your ego like you know everything, right? Uh, like, th- that's the thing in, in, in um, a, a thought experiment because in legendary Navy SEALs Team 6 leader, by the way, which, you know, th- this is very worth studying, um, but his name's Dave Cooper. You can look up uh, uh, more, more information about him. Says the most important four words the leader can say is, I, I screwed that up. Think about that. I screwed that up. How often do you say that, right? It's like, man, I just, I fucked that up, right? Maybe that doesn't have to be your manifesto, but why not come up with your own slogan that reminds you to flex your vulnerability muscles, right? So it's like, I talk about, you know, we, we know about training muscles of, for strength. We know about, I, I talk about, you know, mental uh, uh, weightlifting and spiritual and emotional weightlifting. You know, this would be the, you know, vulnerability weightlifting and flexing your muscles, right? Uh, big idea number five is encouraging debriefing, right? So, uh after a big, you know, game product rollout, after, a, 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 I would say, you know, we just had a, a campaign that did really well in marketing uh, on an important meeting or a major crisis, your, your team should always come together in a risk-free setting to examine every aspect of the event. So, you know, 
we've we've used and I've talked about the Navy SEALs after action review before where in you know right after a mission before anything else the team comes together and they debrief about what happened right especially about what went wrong like not like hiding like oh well this this is all the stuff that went good now fuck that like what went wrong so this media experience feedback loop allows for somebody's a personal growth individual but it, it, it multiplies it within the team setting because what if you know like i said Here's what I messed up. Here's what went wrong. Here's what I learned from it. Now you share it with the team. And now if everybody shares it, you have course correction as a unit, right? And, and remember, as, as, it, as, it, as it starts from the top, so as a team leader, it's, it's important to own your mistakes and admit, admit them in front of the group, right? So when a group members are open, uh, able to openly and honestly critique an outcome, test a strategy, evaluate performance, you know, it opens up vulnerabilities that creates a clear path to problem solving. So you got to ask yourself that question. Like, is, is it more important that, you know, use that, like you have a certain type of uh, reputation uh, and, you know, and, and that you uphold your whatever ego and status, or is it more important that you get the result? And I'm like, I'm willing to be wrong all day long so that we can get what we want. You know what I mean? Um, so maybe the most important aspect of media debriefing is by talking about everybody's individual experience, it creates a shared mental model. Think about that, right? It, like what happened and you share it and it creates that model. So these shared mental models allow for decreased, first of all, isolation and disconnect um, and increased levels of connectivity. And then we've, I've talked about the light formula. So like proximity, right? People... Uh, the more proximal, the more the more to uh, the more frequency and duration you have coming together and sharing these things, the more you're going to connect, right? So the fascinating thing is that these awkward, like and painful interactions, generate highly cohesive trusting behavior that's ne necessary for like just like a smooth teamwork, smooth cooperation, smooth growth, right? So let's look at how you it, how you can apply this, and this is a big one that you can probably take. Uh, right off the bat and, and start doing it within your business or within your, your organizations, right? So how can you implement like what, you know, Pixar uh, brain trust meetings, right? And uh, for instance, uh, brainstorming, what the, what the briefing strategies can you implement your, with your team starting immediately? So whether that's weekly, but specifically after you had something happen, you know, coming together and going like, hey, what went well? What went wrong? What, what could we have, we have done better? Right. And putting that stuff down, it's like, OK, what's the next action step? Like what's something that's applicable? Uh, what's something that's apl applicable like into like the actual business? Right. So it's not like this. Uh, OK, we got done with it. But hey, what can I actually specifically do? Right. What's the action step? Like, you know, if, if we talked about moving forward, it's like, OK, guys, you know, we just uh, I would say uh, we color coded. Uh, you know, different areas of the gym so that at the end of the night, like everything has to be in that place and it's looking at the same and it, it has these, you know, training areas. Um, but like, that's an applicable step, right? If we had to debrief and something was wrong and it was like, hey guys, like this is how we're going to do stuff from now on. We're all in agreement. Awesome. Great. Moving forward, right? So, uh, Remember that just the last tip on this. Sometimes an important part of debriefing is removal of authority bias, right? So in other words, if you're a boss, like shit, you have to leave. And, you know, I've started creating like meetings where I'm not there, right? But sometimes, like I said, it's also like you, you might be the bottleneck stopping people from actually saying what they need to say or getting the ideas that move forward, right? So people might feel comfortable talking and maybe they will work better solving problems without, without the leader, without you, without, you know, um, like I said, if, if that is you, then that means you. If you're the leader, that means you. Uh, so sometimes, hey, try removing yourself from the equation and then just see how it goes. See if, if, if people are more open, if they're getting better ideas. And that might be it. Like I said, that means dropping the ego, right? 
Big idea number six. I'm not going to spend as long as much time on this because, you know, I, I've literally had a whole podcast on this, but that's listening skills, right? And uh, you know, there's a number of examples from uh, from especially from the book of the Culture Code about uh, that people said, you know, there, there's some very powerful people in organizations, um, and uh, they gave a couple of examples. One was Rashi Giveshi. And it's like, when they said, hey, what does this person do, right? They're so phenomenally well. And it was like listening, right? And basically, you know, unofficially, she was the person who's brought into design team process to help stimulate progress to skilled listening and questioning. So think about this. This is like one of the most important people in this company, right? Company ideal. And the, basically, they help stimulate progress through skilled listening and questioning. Like that's their superpower, Right. I mean, imagine being paid like massive amounts because like that's the number one thing that you get asked to do. Right. Think about this. So ask questions and be quiet. Like listening is a core leadership skill. It's a skill. It's something that gets built. You don't just have it. You don't are not born with it. Right. So as a leader, you want to solve problems, fix what isn't working, keep the positive movement, like moving forward. Right. But sometimes the fastest way to solve a problem is to stay quiet, slow down, listen. Very, very important. Because listening communicates empathy, cultivates unity. Uh, good listening skills make conversation about the speaker and not about you. Like this is how you extract more out of people versus like just always giving advice and trying to guide, right? Nearly every strong friendship is built on asking real questions and listening well. I'm pausing because like this is so important that I hope you're like really, really taking this in. As a parent, much of what you do is, is listening. Whether it's like, you know, playground drama, like basketball practice, relationship troubles, long distance, catch-ups over FaceTime, whatever, right? In love, you listen to your partner, you, you retell the important life stories. The, the, this is such a critical thing, not just in life and in relationships and connecting, but obviously in business because everything's based on that, right? So you can apply principles of skill listening to your everyday interactions. Connect with a speaker with my, without making a topic about you. We talked about a whole podcast about that, right? Don't turn it into you, you thing. It's about them. Focus completely on who is t uh, talking. Absorb the dialogue. Provide active and supportive responses. We talked about that earlier, right? So, and, and don't try to fix or solve anything directly. Like this was uh, something that, that I had an issue with and I still have, uh, but once again, something that I've improved on tremendously, right? So a lot of conversation to take it, its its place and, and have a natural conclusion with it, you know what I mean? So good listening is more about, is about more than nodding attentively, right? We talked about this in a previous podcast where it's like, just because you're doing this doesn't mean that you're, you're a good listener, right? It's about adding insight and creating moments of mutual discovery, like very, very important, right? So think about that and, and, and ask yourself, hey, are you good? How good of a listener are you? Like think, for real, like on a scale of one to 10, you know, be, be honest here, right? Think about conversations you had today. What was your role in them, right? And, and here's a thought experiment. A leadership consultancy found that effective lis listeners consistently interact in ways to make the other person feel safe and supported. We go back to that number one thing. Take a helping cooperative stance, right? Occasionally ask questions that gently and constructively cha challenge old assumptions. So that's important. Hey, you know, have you considered, right? It's not like you should do this or, uh, man, you're wrong or like what, you know, where, where it's aggressive. Once again, you're not creating safety, but like, have you considered? I'd have you consider looking at this approach or looking at this perspective, right? Make occasional suggestions to open up alternate paths of thinking. That's important because maybe they'll find a different path. Now think again about a conversation you had today. Could you have implemented one, one or more of those traits? Now, this is very important. Like this is the whole part of like reflecting, right? Reflecting on the conversation you had 
looking at these new questions and like, could you have done something better? So the next time around, even if you use one or two of these perspective methods or questions, now you're improving and you, you more actively listen, right? So that's very important. Big idea number seven is the story of your purpose. Unearth and project, right? Once again, like th- this is where we talked about making people safe. We talked about navigation over inspiration. This like fits in very, very importantly because purpose is not something that lives, lives outside of you. It's created within you by taking those meaningful human stories and then broadcasting them across the company, right? And, you know, this is one of the things that I'm trying to uh, implement back uh, in more frequently that we stop doing, right? So when all members of your team can understand and define their purpose, their personal engagement and fulfillment increases dramatically and a great culture is born, right? So once again, you got to weave these stories in all the time. You know, we have one of the things that we do in team trainings that we're we're telling stories because we want to intertwine purpose within what people are doing in group session, right? So you always have to strive to frame your purpose and goals in the context of the group. It's really important, right? Make sure every member knows an important role they play in a common narrative, right? In the story. We talk we talk about the hero's journey story brand, but it's like you like it has to start with in your own organization, right? Uh, I had a meeting with like I said some business owners and I was presenting on this and everybody was like, oh yeah, this is how we have to tell the story to the world and message it outside and you know put it in a video and this, that, and the other. And I'm like, man, like number one, you have to create that story and that hero's journey within your own company, right? Like it starts from the inside out. It's like what I like to call what's under the hood. Um, you know, so reinforce your story and create constant engagement around it. Right. And, and uh, you know, Daniel Cole talks about this and says that if you're over communicating your purpose values to the point that it's seemingly cheesy, it's a sure sign you're doing it right. Uh, and I think that's where kind of the problem comes in sometimes that like when you do it a lot, you start feeling like, uh, you know, you start feeling that like uh, you're. I don't know that, that like that, that you're pushing it too hard and what will people think? Right. But this this narrative has to be consistent because that's the only way that culture gets changed. I think a lot of people start doing it a little bit and, you know, maybe they do it a little bit more. Maybe things are, there's a positive feedback or maybe there's none. And that's why they stop. Right. And but you have to do it consistently. Right. Purpose isn't about tapping into some mystical internal drive, but rather about creating some simple beacons that focus intention and engagement on a shared goal right? Attention and engagement on a shared goal. Because if you keep bringing that back, it creates purpose in a path, right? And that's very important. So a question for you. Before you can reinforce your purpose, you have to ask yourself an important question. Do I even know what my company's purpose is, right? Only then, which is, more, which is really important too, is does everybody else? And that's where it's time to do some soul, soul searching, right? What is your a company's official credo or mission statement, and like I said, when I say company, it could be every, anything. It could be team, organization, any tribe, any group, right? Does it, does it reflect the reality you experience in your job or in your community day to day? It's really important. If it doesn't, how does the reality differ from the sentiment, right? And um, there's a great story about Johnson & Johnson when uh, this was back in, uh, uh, let, let's see. Okay, so th- this was their credo, right? We believe our first responsibilities to doctors, nurses, and patients, to mothers and fathers, and all others who use our products and services. In meeting their needs, everything we do must be of, of, be of high quality. So what, what the CEOs did, they challenged that credo. They brought everybody together and said, hey, is this our credo? Like, do we, are we really living by this? Because if we're not, we have to change the credo. And they, everybody started going like, whoa, we can't change the credo. And, you know, the CEO said, well, 
why not? Like, if we're not living it, then why is it there? Then we're bullshitting ourselves. They were living out of integrity. So everybody started pushing back to like, you know, uh, I would say kind of doing that brainstorming of should they keep the creed or not. And at the end, they were like, no, this is our mission. And once, like the, I would say, the, 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 the highest level group decided on this, it started spreading throughout the company in smaller groups. They started discussing what this means. Now, what's crazy at that, like not long afterwards, that there was that, uh, the, the, that, I would say, the, the, the craziness of the poison Tylenol in D.C., I don't know if you guys remember that. I certainly remember that. And it was crazy, right? Because uh, th there was uh, anthrax in it, if I'm not mistaken, right? Um, and a, a bunch of people died. And so at that point in time, you know, the, uh, Johnson & Johnson started talking to police, to the FBI, and asking, like, hey, what should we do? And FBI and police said, well, you know, take everything off the shelves in that area until we don't know it's in other, it's also in other um, cities you know, you don't have to do it because it'll cost you millions, right? And what Johnson & Johnson did said, fuck it. You know, they took it off the shelves everywhere. And it cost them $100 million. But, but they had a meeting and they said, hey, listen, we just talked about this. And now we, we, we stand by this credo. We believe our first responsibility is to the doctors, nurses, and patients, to mothers and fathers, and all others who use our products and services. In meetings, there needs every... Uh, in, meetings their, in meeting their needs, everything we do must be of high quality. Based on that credo, they, they said, no, like if we're leaving the chance of some more people dying before we pull it off, like we legitimately are not following this credo. And they did. And obviously their stock plummeted right afterwards. But what was incredible is not only that their stock make a comeback because they went very public with this. Right and admitted admitted to their to to the mistake and they didn't know what was happening but they said we're gonna take it all off we're not gonna take any chances this is our credo and you know no never in the history has any company come back from something like that but they not only you know got their stock price back up and trust of the people it actually went beyond what it was before but you know I want to tell the story because yes this is a big company but the point of it is is like they lived by their credo and mission statement and the question is is like hey you know. If you don't know what yours is, like, and is it just like, does it sound good? Does it just like, hey, it's, this shit sounds good. Or do you fucking live it like every single day, right? Where you could sit in a meeting and say, this is our credo. And there was a situation that was challenging, right? But then you could go like, yeah, but this is our credo. So this is what we're going to do. And everybody agree on it, right? So very, very um, important. We're almost, we're, all, we're getting close to the end, but like deep, man. Like I said, these are all powerful and stuff that you can implement. They'll make a big difference. Uh, number, you number, the big idea number eight is crystallizing priorities, right? And creating catchphrases. I'm actually redoing a bunch of stuff right now uh, based on like learning this. Uh, and we've had a bunch, we have a bunch, but like there's there's new things, or should I say things that we use that we haven't really made like, uh, I would say standout slash public, right? So how you see events in the world will control how you react to them. We talked about this before, but Clarifying your priorities sets your focus in life. You know what's important and you know what standards you're working to maintain. This is this is really important. What standards you're working to maintain. I promise you this, like, you know, the standards that you allow, the standards that you set will will essentially be kind of like the uh I, I, I would be the, the either the rise or the death of your of 
of your business culture slash community, right? But when you crystallize your priorities, you turn abstract ideas into clear, concrete, repeatable phrases that can be shared within your group culture. This is very important, right? Um, because every like every everybody, every business, every organization, every team, every family, every everything create like faces daily challenges, right? So how you respond to those challenges on an individual level will define the level of the s- success that you have as a group, right? So creating catchphrases answers the question. So how do we respond to the challenges? But if you have a catchphrase, it's easy to go like, this is how we respond, right? So, and it also provides guidance to those moments of challenge. I think this is what's important. Like sometimes when people don't know what to do, it means you haven't created these catchphrases and guidelines of what should happen. So the, the priorities of the group should be repeatedly reinforced on signs, staff meetings, uh, you know, part, particularly by the by the leadership team. But like I said, like that's why we're, we're getting more models put up on the wall so they're everywhere they keep reminding you like from banners to to posters to like i said pictures right so when co-workers team members classmates all know the group priorities they can embody them in their actions priorities that are clear within a group help individuals respond to life events in a unified type of way right because everybody knows what to do so in business obviously like i could be you know perfect examples like there's so many things that demand your attention so at times you'll be like finding it challenging to even you know distinguish what are priorities and what what needs to be crystallized that's normal right but you know one of the best ways to find your true north is the group's number of priorities which is relationships with each other right so the most important aspect of any highly successful group are the relationships of each member with each other that's that's so important and every time that i've had uh to i would say deal with i would say uh, a downturn has been when that wasn't strong, right? And you always have to come back to that. So um, a great, you know, dig into like, by the way, the story of Danny Meyer, who's a restaurant titan, uh, has a a great culture, but the story of how he got it there is phenomenal. And like I said, I can't dig into it because like we're we're a little bit on a time crunch here. but just know that creating engagement around a clear, simple set of priorities can function as a lighthouse. And I talked about, you know, the whole lighthouse analogy as far as guiding you. Um, and it, it orients your behavior and provides a path towards the goal. That's very important. Uh, so a couple questions here. So the first step is to ask yourself, what are the priorities of my, my, my team and business, right? Like, so, um, you know, example, safety, uh, serving our clients, you know, making money, like ABC, right? So what are some of your own kind of maxims that can serve as models for, for adhering to those like priorities. Um, example, right? Example. These are like three things that we could that we could put our quotes on. I mean, just kind of like taglines on the wall. Uh, Safety is no accident. You know, keep your promises. Uh, quality over quantity, right? And so the exercise for you is to build catchphrases uh, that and responses that address. You know, how do we respond to a certain challenge? How do we interact at the beginning of a relationship? How do we treat each other? Right. Have catchphrases that answer that, because once you keep repeating them and telling stories around them, that's going to become very, very important. Um, Number nine, these last two, I'm going to go a little faster, but is proficiency. The big idea number nine is proficiency versus creativity. Uh, Not all groups are the same. So not all goals are the same. Right. So it's, it's, it's important to figure out if you're aiming for proficiency or creativity or sometimes it's a mix of both. Right. Each requires different guidance from a leader and different output from all team members. So groups that are aiming for proficiency are working hard to create a consistent form of excellence. A leader guiding this group acts like as a lighthouse, providing clear, helpful direction towards a concrete 
like a destination, right? Like a steady destination. Doesn't mean that creativity is not there. It's not part of the process uh, in this particular excellence. But just in these groups, creativity may, may play a part in developing more efficient services, engineering new technology, and solving problems creatively. And I'd say for most gyms, that is the case. I like creating consistent excellence is is massively important. I, I think this is the foundation of it, right? Where with in, in groups, they're aiming for creativity and are working hard to, uh, to invent something new. They're not looking to maintain a certain standard to satisfy the consistent expectation. They want delight and surprise. The leader of these teams must act as a guide to basically an autonomous group. Now, I think that like no business kind of like lives in a vacuum or none of these live in a vacuum, right? I think at different parts of the kind of uh, the lifespan and lifetime, like you have to implement different different ones, right? So, you know, you, you got to tailor your leadership based on those, right? So, uh, you know, whether it's like consistent excellence or whether it's creativity, you have to you have to kind of go a little different ways. So, how to lead for proficiency, right? Fill the group windshield with clear, accessible models of excellence. So, like, how you know what does that look like? What does excellence look like? You know, what's the 11 star service model, right? And then when you dial it down to five, but like, and you know exactly what it is, right? Because you model that behavior, you model that picture, right? Uh, so, you know, perfect example is like when you lift, right? If you, now obviously, look, we can talk about people who have different limb lengths and so on and so forth, but in coaching, you're like, you can model like what something should look like, a deadlift, a swing, whatever it may be. Now, it might be, uh, the boundaries might not be really tight, but nonetheless, you know what that is. Provide high repetition, high feedback training. That's very important, right? So somebody has to go and train excellence many, many times and get feedback to course correct to be great at it. So build vivid, memorable, memorable rules of thumb. What's the rule of thumb, right? You have to build that so people understand it. Spotlight and honor the fundamentals of the skill, right? Like, meaning spotlight, like the things that are going, we talked about this, right? Shining a light on positives, on, on, on excellence, like, you know, this is the skill that, that's needed to be excellent in this, right? Whereas for creativity, like leading for creativity is a little different, right? So keenly attend to team composition and dynamics. Define, reinforce, and relentlessly protect the team's creative autonomy. Like you're going you're gonna to have a lot wider, like let people go, right? Because you want them to be creative. Now, and like I said, there's, time, there's a time and a place for that as well. But make it safe to fail and give feedback. Now, I think that goes for anything, I think that goes for on, on both ends of the spectrum. Uh, and celebrate hugely when like the group takes initi initiative. So if the group takes initiative, create something awesome, like you got to celebrate that. Why? Because it's going to reinforce it and they're going to do more of that, right? So the distinction between creativity and proficiency is important because it highlights the two basic challenges facing any groups. And that's consistency and innovation. And you got you kind of have to ask yourself, you know, which where are you at right now? Is it the consistency part? Or is it the innovation part? I certainly know for, for me and for us, it's consistency and making excellence in all these different areas become consistent, right? But there's also areas of innovation in like another business right now that we're working on, right? So here's some application exercise. Think of reoccurring activity in life where you're working towards a proficient outcome, right? And remember, this doesn't even have to be work-related, right? List specific areas where you see success in achieving this outcome. Like, so what areas do you have, do you, do you see that have room for improvement? Um, you know, how can you apply the techniques of successful leadership to these problem areas? Clear models of excellence, high repetition and high feedback training, 
memorable catchphrases. So these are things for you to work on. Spotlight fundamentals of the necessary skills, right? Something that you can easily implement, or should I say easily, simply, something you can simply implement. It's not easy, but it's, it's simple, but it takes work, okay? And the last one, practice and repeat. Right, successful cultures, whether it's belonging cues, models, head nodding, head nodding, debriefing, every behavior you implement to strengthen your culture needs to be repeated over and over. Over and over and over and over and over and over and over. Like more overs than you would you you would want, but that's what it takes, right? A successful group culture is not the result of like an isolated incident. It's not a home run. It's not a it's not a, a you know, I told this one story, this one amazing thing happened and it changed the whole culture. It's not that. No matter how great or successful, you know, that moment in time or that victory was, that's not going to change it. It's the result of endlessly repeated little thoughts, little actions, little guidances, like that over and over and over again, right? And uh, and like I said, like you know, I talked about the Johnson and Johnson and the, and, and the Credo challenge when they challenged, you know, the whole company to, like I said, to fight the Credo and reinforce it, um, and. You know, think about this. Uh, the, think about how the sm- a small group of every fish can create one co- cooperative group because they're all reacting to each other with unified focus. Or like, you know, uh, what I love is like when uh, the other day I'm driving on a, on a freeway, it's the birds. Have you ever seen those like crazy patterns? It's like they're dancing in the sky, right? And uh, I was asked like what that was. And I guess that what it is is to throw off prey, but they, they basically move as a unit. Right, they're completely unified in their actions to basically avoid the prey. But there's thousands of them, right? So they're not consciously thinking about every move and what it means, to, uh, and if it's right, they're responding to the movements around them with a great amount of reflex. So setting clear group priorities demands focus and determines reflex responses to every movement of the group, right? So as you kind of create these models. And people become start to respond to those automatically as a team when things happen, right? So that means that the hard work of building and maintaining a successful culture will pay off because that's the responses you're going to get, okay? Not just in measurable ways like productivity and employee retention, which obviously this is what everybody wants, right? But in ways people respond and learn to, to react automatically together, together, right? That's, man, like if, if I know that like, Every single person that I talk to that has a company, like these are the things that they strive for, right? And that's the, where the beauty of high functional and successful groups truly shines. So what do you do once you've built a successful team, right? Sit back, relax, and let the equation of success play out, churning like a well-oiled machine? Of course, of course the answer is no, right? And, and, and I've seen this happen where people have built great cultures and like kind of, okay, we're here now. This is it. We're good. It's just going to flow. But not only do you have to stay actively engaged when that happens to keep the successful and healthy culture going, but you need to keep yourself on the edge of your comfort zone by striving for greatness. Like, you cannot, like, you have to create an environment for greatness. You have to create a culture of growth. You have to create a culture of constantly pushing, pushing forward, whether that's Kaizen or the 1%, whatever rule you want to call it, right? But where you can always chip away and make things better. Like that's a way of living, right? That's, that's literally like a way of breathing. It's life. I mean, you have to create, you have to create uh, I would say, a, a way of life in your business where greatness is the standard, but greatness is a moving target. Um, so, you know, remember that none of these signals matter by themselves, but together, like these 10 ideas and implementing these little things, they create a new story. Um, 
I'm going to leave you with this, right? Question, whether or not you've already established positive practices for a culture, a thriving culture, a successful culture that you want to build, ask yourself, are you repeating them? And, you know, I can tell you an honest answer in some areas. Yes. In certain things, even just going through this and building this to share it with you guys, like I can say no. And it's creating awareness so that that's what will happen. Right. So journal this like, the, you know, this is another one of these drills where I think it can massively help you by itself. You do nothing else. Right. Think about the most impressive group culture you've ever been a part of. Uh, and maybe it was a college classroom, maybe it was a basketball team, maybe it was, you know, a company, maybe it was a nonprofit you work for, right? Uh, maybe it was your fellow interns at your first job. Like, then again, maybe it was your family around the dinner table. I said it at the beginning. I know that I'm kind of creating like a little more context around companies and businesses, but this really matters everywhere. And it's and it's like, it could be like, like I said, the family dynamic that was a culture that was incredible. But think about those dynamics and specifically think of the reoccurring forces at work that made that environment successful and write them down. Like in, you know, in, in, in one sentence, in one paragraph, in models, in taglines, right? And then start like asking yourself like to recreate that culture. The things that you were like, this was an incredible culture and it helped me and guided me to a different direction. Like, Start implementing that. Start creating these models and living them and repeating them and implementing these, these, these 10 big ideas into any place and organization and team and company that you're a part of. Uh, and like I said, if you're not the, the leader, you know, then be the leader with no title and, and start bringing this to the table in some sort of way. Right. Because once again, leadership is not something that's that's, uh, you know, given to you. It, it's, it's something that you just do. Right. And. Once again, like this could be that, you know, if you have or you're a part of any company, this could be the most powerful thing that you've heard. But at the end, does it matter? Does it fucking matter if this was a cool podcast? Absolutely not. Like this is stuff that like if you implement and do over and over and over again, this can change like the trajectory of, you know, your success in, in your career. And like I said, in environments you work in, because guess what? Yo, like there's nothing better when the team is together there's when there's safety and you got like you come to work and and you're like man we're we're working together to, to towards a joint vision i don't care then, then 16 hour days become 16 hours of you know working towards something that you love or if it's a 10 or a 8 or a 10 or 12 whatever it may be right working in a culture that's not conducive to success and greatness and that doesn't have safety is not a great culture to work in and you know you like most people that you work half of your life why wouldn't you do one why wouldn't you do what you love, but why wouldn't you be in an environment and a culture that's phenomenal and makes you better and you where you love being? With that said, I love and appreciate you guys. Make sure that hey, look, if you if you're loving a podcast, if you know, if this is helping you out, you know, keep it real, keep it honest. Like go to iTunes, knock it out that five-star review, you know, like let, let me know. Let, let me know what you know what you think about it, how it's helping you out. Uh, I'd really appreciate that. I, I'd, I'd love the favor. Um, and I will see you in the next show. I got some, like I said, these next shows, I, I got some really deep stuff just like this that I study for a while. You know, like I, I study stuff for a while, I create notes and I almost want to make it like a master class where, you know, uh, you could take this, you know, take the notes and, 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 and apply it and the shit works. It's not like some stuff I'm making up. All right. Love and appreciate you. See you in the next podcast. Peace out.